0: Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. Hi, I'm Chas Mostad. Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup. Hey, I'm Scott Pipe. Hi, I'm Nick Perkapp. You are listening to Inside Supercars.
1: For sure, I think if I get to drive more and more and more, uh, for sure, you know, I'm going to feel more comfortable.
0: I nearly
2: told him to calm down in the end. I'm like, mate, you're making me stressed. <laughs> I'm stressed enough as he is. In 2014, Chas Mostet and Paul Morris won Bathurst. The race finished at almost 6.30 and 5.2 million people were watching at the end of that race. So a quarter of the Australian population watched Chaz win that race. That's a pretty you know, compelling figure to, to drop on anybody.
0: <laughs> From the racetracks across Australia and around the world, here's Inside
2: Supercars. And welcome to Inside Supercars, the biggest week, I suppose, in many ways, because there are a number of championships to be decided this weekend in Newcastle, Craig.
3: Super 2s will be the first one decided, and then it's into the main game, the Virgin Australia Championship, and, well, it's down to two in the eyes of the defending champion. Will Scott McLaughlin be able to bridge the gap over the man who will, of course, be... uh, setting new levels of excellence in supercar driving and in touring car racing here in Australia if he is able to claim a seventh title.
2: Long before we get to that, though, there is an enormous amount has happened already and with more to unfold in the coming days before the cars hit the track on Friday. So it's been another big week in supercars uh, with many, many things around it. I, have you been looking online and seen some of the excellent previews that have been put up by teams and by uh, Mark Larkham, uh, just truly excellent uh, coverage of the new track, it's superb
3: Yes uh, and uh, of course the ongoing East End descent to what is going to be a, a fantastic race this weekend and event overall um, it has been interesting to see as well, we've had vandalism we've had grass uh, poisoned with weed killer to write uh, words on there Um, all sorts of graffiti in different places. And then on Monday night, there was a a flash mob who uh, started protesting as well. I think uh, once the uh, companies who are service industries that are going to be providing their wares across this weekend find out what this can do, there might be a a change of heart by many. But we'll have to wait and see. It didn't work in Canberra. The uh, opposition increased as the event went on, time will tell whether this is a stay yeah,
2: Indeed we will. But before we get to that, just uh, let's have a look around at some of the news. I suppose the biggest news has been broken, and Tom Howard and uh, Speed Cafe broke the news of the new CEO. Be starting early in the new year. Uh, he's, uh, he replaces, of course, James Warburton, who heads off to a display company. Um, his name is Sean Seamer. He comes from Media uh, I don't think it's a dot-com company, but it's a media buying service, advertising agency. Um, so another fascinating background, very similar background, in fact, to Warburton's with timing a couple of net television networks. So he brings that to it. But one thing he does also bring is a lot of racing. He has actually raced a Porsche, and lo and behold, we get our first New Zealander in control, which is fantastic, because as you well know, there are enormous number of New Zealanders up and down pit lane, because... Motorsport in New Zealand is something special, and this is uh, the first man in charge who comes from that country. So that's one of the big stories, is uh, his uh, uh, joining the series. Um, the other uh, big news was, uh, that's broken in the last couple of days is the impending retirement of a couple of the uh, full-timers over the last 20 years in Jason Bright and Todd Kelly. Now, they're both stalwarts of the series, they both have uh, done multiple things and won Bathursts. Not quite featured in the championship. I think Brighty's uh, third and Todd may have had a fourth in the championship some years back. But both of them are very strong races. Both of them uh, have uh, made their impact in the series. Um, so the, the departure of them is certainly uh, means that a lot of things are turning upside down. But one of the things that is going to be happening on this Thursday is the impending announcement of the new LDM structure now after several years of battling on and and honestly uh, it's been a battle for Lucas D'Umbrell and his team they've uh, unfortunately had too many people changes to uh, make it a regular place for someone to settle Um, but Phil Monday, who is the owner of the repair management business he's taking controlling interests of Lucas D'Umbrell they're downsizing from two cars to one um, the big news there is that they have scooped up a man uh, who has enormous experience as a driver and obviously uh, being uh, around the series for so long Cam McConville will bring a breath of uh, fresh air to that team and w- we can only speculate at this stage as to who will be driving there but there are a good number of young blokes who are ready to step up already we've seen Anton Di Bisquale, uh taking Dale Wood's uh, chair at Erebus uh, more than likely that we're going to see uh, Richie Stanaway coming in uh, and probably in Pro Drive, where one of those wrecks is going. Of course, it was Brighty when he leaves uh, his Pro Drive seat. That wreck will be heading up to, I believe, Matt Stone. Matt Stone with uh, Jason Gomisal and James Rosenberg in the corner behind uh, Matt and Jim Stone, uh, and that Todd Hazel would be the driver there. So, another of the young drivers, which is fantastic news, as I'm sure you'll agree. The other uh, things about the weekend are that uh, we're going to see uh, maybe Will Dave snapping his last full-time driver. He finishes up with uh, Techno, and that his chair may be taken by one of the young drivers. There are a good number of them uh, there, Jack LeBrock. He could be in, up in the uh, Todd Kelly seat, or, uh, in fact, uh, James Moffat may end up at Techno. There are a number of things up in the air here, so what are your speculations on that?
3: Well, I'm interested to see where Jack LeBrock lands. Of course, Will Davison, does he come back to Melbourne or does he fly in and uh, parachute into a Nissan Drive? Jack LeBrock is at Nissan now. Where does Gary Jacobson land? Uh, there's plenty of questions at the end of this season. Now, interestingly, Alex Rollo is uh, testing a, a British touring car uh, uh, later in this week or later in this month, I should say. So it, it'll it be interesting. That uh, certainly would indicate that he's seeing his career is not in Australia and they're thinking about uh, making the move offshore. Where does uh, where does that Dumbrell Monday, uh, Cam McConville, who you spoke to, of course, in New Zealand, where do they go? Where do they look? Does Nissan go young or do they go for an established driver? These are all interesting questions that, Still have to be answered, and uh, if you go by Bathurst wet weather form, guys who can drive in that weather can pretty much drive in any condition. And the two that shown that shone were Stanaway and were Jacobson. So has has those performances outweighed um, the work of other drivers who might have even had a um, had a wild card throughout the year? Where's Goulding? He looks like he's locked in at GRM. So that seat isn't really open for James discussion. James Golding. Yeah, James yeah. Golding, yeah. Um, it, 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 it's going to be a fantastic off-season with, you know, four, what I believe, genuine vacancies. Yeah, indeed it is.
2: And one of the best parts about it is, of course, that the strong speculation is that many of these seats um, will be taken by young guys who have shown plenty, as you mm-hmm. see in the wet, and also some of them, like Gary Jacobson, winning the championship in the development Series last year. And uh, obviously, the development series, of course, is an interesting one because uh, it's only been in the last day or so that Paul Dumbrell has confirmed that he's coming. His wife is having their second child, but he's coming and will be taking up battle with leading the points with Todd Hazelwood. So that'll be an interesting one. Paul will be lining up for his third title, obviously Todd for his first. Um, uh, Interesting other news in terms of drivers for this weekend. Uh, Jack Perkins has had to step down from the uh, number 62 LDM car, which he drove at Pukekohe. Um, and, in fact, uh, Taz Douglas returns. He hasn't driven since Winton. So he'll be, he'll be uh, driving alongside Aaron Russell, who, of course, will be making his debut on his home track. A uh, long-time uh, family, the, N- the Nova Castrian family of the Russells. Wayne Russell was uh, in the series when I started back in the um, early 90s. And so Aaron is one of two sons who has driven in supercars and he is still racing, Race at Pukakoe, had a tough time, showed some speed, and certainly is uh, wanted to be there to drum up some more local interest. So plenty of things happening around that. So you've got the development series to be decided, you've got the uh, main series supercar, you've also got uh, the decision for touring car masters to be made, who is gonna win. With uh, John Bauer leading the points yet again, Five in front of Stevie Johnson, and I think most people out there, while they don't want to see John Bauer lose, they certainly would be very keen to see Steve Johnson pick up his inaugural title in a touring car with a lid on it, particularly (laughs) because it's a Mustang like his dad used to drive. Coming up on the show this week, we're going to have a second part of Scott Sinclair. Interesting conversation. This time he's talking about his time at both uh, Holden Racing Team and, of course, at the Kellys. Um, of course setting up of the uh, Nissan company and the Nissan cars and the the multiple jobs that had to be tackled in that whole thing.
3: We'll also speak to Stephen Todkill. It's a bit of a Nissan show because we've got Todd Kelly talking about his impending retirement. So we're also hoping before we close up shop tonight that we might hear from Jason Bright. So whilst everyone's focusing on that battle at the front, we're going to have a look at some of the some of the people that have really given their all for 20 years.
2: And after the break, we'll be with Stephen Todkill, a Nissan Motorsport engineer. He's been with Michael Caruso from his GRM days across the road to where he is now with the number 23 Nissan Altima.
0: Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Facebook page. And to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.
3: Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm David Reynolds. And you're listening to Inside Supercars. And
4: welcome back to Inside Supercars. We're delightfully joined today by Stephen Todkill, who is the engineer, race engineer of Michael Caruso. He's raced under a number of numbers with uh, Michael. Uh, now with number 23 in the Snowtower. Welcome on board, Stephen.
5: No, thank you. It's good to be on.
4: Terrific. Now, um, your background in motorsport. Where did it start with you? Where
5: was your introduction to the sport? I mean, I, I was—I guess I was one of those people that was that started out as a fan, you know. Like um, when I was in that high school, you know, I was always interested in Formula One and, and that sort of thing. Um, and uh, I, I went on to, to pursue uh, engineering at uni, and yeah. and got in through the uh, sort of student racing, so Formula SAE. And then from there, I got into GRM, and now now I'm at Nissan. Now,
4: I can almost remember when you started there um, at GRM, and it would have been, because <laughs> your name does lend itself to a uh, nickname, which Gary, uh, and it was one of those nicknames yeah. that stood out from the pack. Um, your nickname, of course, is still?
5: Yeah, it's still Killer. Yeah, unfortunate. It's an unfortunate nickname, but, yeah, it has stuck, Yep. Yeah, indeed, indeed.
4: Um, and, uh, so there you are at Nissan. You joined when Michael came across now. You obviously, uh, were a great pairing together. You'd had uh, race wins at GRM and you wanted to continue that, uh, coming across to Nissan. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I guess,
5: I guess forming a relationship or having a sort of cohesive relationship with the driver and establishing that is, is always sort of a bit, a bit difficult to, to get going and, and i mean we we do work really well together, we do challenge each other a fair bit um so so yeah so i I've, I've enjoyed working with him and I, I think he's enjoyed working with me over the, over the last couple of years yep
4: well, as i'm sure he you know you would suggested to me that he played a part in you know would you like to come across and I suggest that, yes, he wants to continue it as well yeah no
5: definitely definitely so when when he moved across to JRM, as I was telling you they um you know, Nissan was looking for engineers, and and Michael, Michael suggested, you know, maybe I come across. Um, so I got speaking with Todd and, and Craig Spencer at the time, and um, and yeah, organised organised the, the transition over. I guess
4: it's a very different setup, being a factory setup in Nissan, four cars, your own in house engine program. It's a very large uh, m- machine that sort of moves to uh, build these four Nissan Altimas, isn't it?
5: Oh, it's it's incredibly large it's it's massive it's a massive scale like it, absolutely everything's sort of done in house i'm trying to think of something that's not but but everything like from engines to stickers to paint to composites like just everything happens in house and um and it's not it's not an immense workforce it's it's you know i i, I think there's 50 or 60 of us so yep. to do all of that is is um is quite a feat really yeah
4: um the impending news just just out um, of Todd's, uh, will obviously changed the dynamics having uh todd out of the car during races um being able to not have to go off and do the training that he does as a driver and all those sorts of things and the promotional work as I mentioned as well
5: yeah i mean it came as it came as a, a fair surprise like it was always sort of I always thought he'd, he'd just be driving forever. Like you just never, you know, you never expect him today. He sort of sits everybody down and says he's retiring. But um, yeah, that happened. That happened the other day. And so um,
4: this week, you got that news.
5: Yeah. So he, he got everybody upstairs at the bar, and um, you know, just told everybody that that after twenty years, he was it was um, it was time for him to retire. And you know, we all sort of had a beer, and I guess. I guess, you know, sort of had a bit of a, I guess, a celebratory sort of moment. Um,
4: Yeah, so it was quite quite good, yeah. Well, the great news, of course, is that, you know, he continues on. He's not walking away because his name is obviously still on the door. Um, And so he plays that management role with greater responsibilities and greater input into all parts of it. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty
5: enthusiastically looking forward to, to the next year just to see you know just I mean, it gives it obviously frees up with, you know without the burden of um, of driving driving one of the cars it, it frees him up you know quite considerably so it, it will it will definitely um, it will definitely change the whole dynamic of the team and I'm, I'm looking forward to, to sort of seeing how it all plays out
3: Stephen um, if you ruled the if you ruled the world what do you think? Uh, what do you think is the best option for the team? Do you need to go young? Do you need to get an established driver in? Where is that? Where is that balance now?
5: Um, uh, it, it's a good question. I mean, like, it's it's something I I, I don't really have too much of a, a say in it. I haven't given it a great deal of thought. Um, you just need the right driver. I think I think having you know having the best option is is having all four of your drivers. Being able to compete for, you know, for good results. Um, cause it just, it, I mean, it just takes the burden off, off the team to an extent. Like, if you're relying on, you know, sort of two or three drivers to, to get it done or one or two drivers to sort of get the job done, it's, it's a lot of pressure. But if you do manage to get somebody who, who is, is capable, whether they're young or, or established, it, it, it obviously is a great asset to the team. And like, if they are able to bring home, you know, sort of good results, it just takes the pressure off everybody, you know, and and, and sort of allows allows everybody to go about their business and you know, sort of you, sort of strive to get the the results you sort of need. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't really, I don't really have a preference. I, I, I just yeah, I, I hope I hope we get somebody really good and really established, or you know, or, or young and really you know, really quick and, and hungry. So, I mean, I think either way it, it, it can work.
3: And with this season, how have you seen the cars develop? And you, you've seen these cars really working right from the ground up. How do you see these cars compared to what you and and Michael were running previously? Because we're now into that stage where these aren't new cars anymore. they're They're quite well known. Are you comfortable with knowing all this about the cars or is the change of the tyre so radical that every year it's a new, it's a completely new feast?
5: Yeah, it's interesting. Like if you had asked me that question at the end of last year, I mean, we were very, very comfortable with the package and it was a very known quantity. Um, you know, we knew what every change did and, and we're in a really, a really good window that worked. Like you'd drop the car out every, every weekend. And it'd be, it'd be pretty, pretty close from the get go. This year, with the change of tyres, we rolled out. I think we rolled out to the start of the year across the Nissans like fairly, fairly good. And then, and then we started failing sort of tyres, probably more so than most teams, rear tyres for us. And it it sort of forced us to sort of explore different, different setup windows, so different ballads, different camber windows, um, to try and, and try to to basically make the tyres last and, um, and still give us Give us performance. So, so we did go through a bit of a lull there. And I mean, from, from, um, from our, our perspective, so I mean, Michael and I's approach to, to sort of race engineering is, is very sort of methodical, I guess. Um, so it probably wasn't until, uh, to be honest, it wasn't until Eastern Creek, from, from Phillip Island to Eastern Creek, where we sort of got our head around what we sort of needed to do. Since then, I think we've been in in quite a quite a nice setup window, um, particularly on the on the new soft tire. So, stand down the car actually handled really good. I mean, we have we had the sort of the the issues with the sort of straights still a little bit there, but handling wise, it was really good. India handled really good, very good in the wet. Um, It was uh, it probably didn't get our chance to show our our true speed on the Sunday with the drive through penalty. Um, And yeah, I'm I'm confident going into into newcastle that that will hit, will you know be be fairly close from the get go and like at, at at the moment and it's it's the last race on this tire I, i'm we i mean we're fairly fairly comfortable and confident with it now um, but it, it was it did it did change things significantly for our package and especially given the fact that we were Probably um, damaging rear tyres and, and tyres in general more than more than other teams from the get go.
3: What was it like when someone just dumped a three hundred page dossier on the new tyre on your desk about what three weeks before the test day?
5: <laughs> yeah, I mean like that. That in itself is it a massive, massive amount of data to um, to go over. So I mean, I, I, I was sort of uh, arms deep, shoulders deep in design work. Um, so we sort of relied on relied on um, sort of Rick's Engineer George and and Blake Simona's engineer to sort of crunch through the numbers and and you know generate generate all sorts of plots and you know and um, and theories and documents about you know pressures and cambers and you you know all, all that sort of thing um, which was which was great but at the same time the um, it's. It's definitely not. It's definitely not a bible to the tire because it's. It's sort of. I guess the way it's tested, you know, it it might tell you that you know, like running nine degrees of camber, front camber might be you know the optimal, the optimal thing. But then, you know, it it might be for literally one corner, and the next corner the tires, you know, sort of damaged from it, and it, it doesn't doesn't go around the next corner so well. So so the I guess the jump from the data to the track, there's always, there's always a bit of a, I I think you've got to be prepared to, to have a, to have a difference there. And sometimes in, in land, it's not exactly as, as what happens in real life. But, um, but yeah, it it was, it was an immense amount of data to go through three weeks before. Before the test day, that's mm. for
3: sure. So, going back to the more rounded tyre, which we're going to see next year, with this, I, I believe we're going to a, a, a different compound. But going to that uh, setup, which isn't a square, you'll think that will be a move back to something more positive for the Nissan.
5: Yeah, I mean, we, we as I say, by the, by the end of sort of 2016, I think I think we probably had some of the best handling cars um, in the field. Uh, and, and sort of the the micro sectors, the micro sector analysis, I guess, um, sort of back that up. Um, uh, this this year, as I say, it was sort of a struggle for the middle period. But I mean, I think given given a tie that you know allows us to run, you know, sort of more, I guess, rearward mechanical balance and and that sort of thing is. It's definitely um, it's definitely a gain for us, you know. So if it, a more sort of durable, a durable tyre is is definitely a better deal for us, I think.
1: yeah.
3: And going to a track blind like this at Newcastle, how do you engineer a car?
1: Oh, uh, it's it's
5: it's quite it's it's quite interesting actually because you. I mean, you, you try to draw as many similarities. So we've, we've been given, you know, a little bit of information about the track, which, which we divulge. So I guess you start off by characterising the sort of the braking zones and the corner, you know, the corner sections and all that sort of thing, and um, look for similarities, I guess, between between some of those corners and some other corners we sort of go to. Um, also got some some sort of good information about the track, the track, uh, the surface and. You know, it, it looks it looks pretty pretty new and and that sort of thing. So um, so we we try to relate a lot of that back to um, you know, to to different tracks that have similar characteristics and and try to choose setups based on that. Um, as, as I say, our our sort of setup mythology sort of is one that. That we work from a base setup normally anyway, so we don't deviate too far round to round unless it is a a very unique circuit like Bathurst or something like that. So it's not it's not like we've deviated a long way from our base setup anyway. So so that that sort of takes I guess into account the the setup side of it, and then obviously you know sort of estimating fuel fuel burn Mm -hmm. rates and all that sort of stuff for your strategy and and sort of tyre degradation figures, which which are very very ballpark at the moment until we sort of hit the circuit on Friday but it it, it does throw up a lot of challenges and it, I think I think it means a lot of the work that would have previously done at the workshop preparing for a round you have to do now on Friday night and Saturday night and you've, you've, you've got to you've got to really crunch you know all the, all those numbers that you're unable to crunch before the round sort mm. of thing
3: finally from <laughs> me Stephen the Fuel drop races over the compulsory pit stop races. It seems to me that when we have a fuel dump race, it's more exciting and it's more interesting than we have just a, when we have to say you've got to make the trip through pit lane three times. What's your
5: feeling? To be honest, I I don't, I personally don't love the fuel drop. Um, It's, it's sort of, it feels like it's just in there to, to, Enforce it two two stops over the two hundred k race or two fifty k race, um, and it sort of makes it a little bit unnatural when you get like a, a lap one safety car and the whole field pits, you know that sort of thing. I, I'm not a massive fan of that. Um, I, I mean, I, I person, I, my personal opinion is that the fuel tank size is probably a little bit a little bit out. It, it probably needs to be a little bit smaller, um, just just to basically. You know generate that natural two hundred k race where you're stopping because you need to stop for you know for fuel or tires not not to um not to just sort of you know sort of uh you know meet, meet a regulation or a rule um but yeah i mean that's just that's just my personal so i i, I much prefer like a an indie style race where it's 300 ks and there's no fuel drop um or an enduro style but but yeah i mean. I don't. I don't hate the fuel drop, and it's it definitely. It's definitely. Um, it's definitely different. It's definitely a different sort of approach to the race.
4: Well, one of course, things that uh, is just unique, it appears to be to the Newcastle track, is that you know the corners of the right angle, the corners that left right left right, and so those sort of things are very similar uh, and, uh, to the Adelaide setup. But the off camber on on various corners, like the turn two off camber and various things like that, are very different sets
5: up. Set up, aren't they? Oh, it's, it looks very tricky. Like I was just watching a, um, I was just watching a, a the simulation on the supercars site the other day, and it looks it looks extremely tricky. And and like those sort of those sort of corners that sort of drop away like that, in the exit. They they make they make setting a car up very sort of difficult because you you generally do end up with you know sort of chasing the understeer in the mid part and then you know you, you end up with massive sort of power down dramas as a, as the sort of track drops away especially given that it's the you know the the shortest ratio diff this weekend as well.
4: One of the things that Todd mentioned in his retirement uh, notes was about how he was looking forward to playing a larger role with Simona to get her up to speed. That's something that's very different for you, wouldn't it be having someone with such strong open-wheeling background having her import into the cars? Yeah, it's it's
5: definitely interesting. It's definitely interesting. Like her her approach and the way she drives the cars, you know, it's very open-wheeler. Like she and and amazingly like so, some of the corners she's quick on are some of the you know the the hardest corners um you know we go to like like over the top at Bathurst and down the hill like you know she she doesn't lose any time to any of the other three um but i, I guess i guess her what she's working on probably more than more than anything um without being too heavily involved over there is probably just um Probably just being a bit more patient, like she doesn't have the, um, you know, the massive downforce of, of an open wheeler, the massive tyres. So, you know, it's easy, it's easy to light up the rears and, um, and lock brakes and that sort of thing. So it is those, those like sort of subtle, the subtleties of driving is, is the, you know, the thing that, that she's, she's working on and improving on and, and, you know, getting better. So, I mean, having, having Todd more involved there is only, only a good thing, you know, cause, I mean, from an engineering point of view, you can you can show you can go through the data and analyze the data with
1: the driver, but
5: but it, it to an extent, you know, like you're telling telling a driver how to drive is is a little bit weird because because you're you know you haven't you haven't done it yourself or driven the supercar around that track, but uh, having somebody there that has and, and done it successfully, you know, it's it, it's got a lot more weight. Coming from those sort of people, and a lot, you know. So I, I think I think it could potentially be very beneficial for us for sure.
4: Well, we know you're going to have a very busy weekend. We hope that it's fruitful for you and for Michael and uh, the Kelly Racing team. I mean, it obviously is a sad one with Todd uh, bowing out, but he bows out with a lot of glory behind him and his team. Um, so we look forward to watching through the weekend, Stephen. Enjoy your time in Newcastle. I know that uh, there's an awful lot of people going to be heading there, so expect to be people looking over your shoulder. Yeah, definitely. No, well, thanks for having me. Oh, it's been a pleasure, Steve, and we uh, look forward to catching up with you over the weekend. Thanks so much. Awesome. Have a good evening. So,
2: thank you. Fascinating to hear the Stephen Toddkill story. Coming up next with Todd Kelly on his retirement.
0: The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world.
3: Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task.
4: Uh, we were able to beat the two the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to do um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for uh, the Raptors family.
0: Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at
2: sportradio.com.au.
0: Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup. Hi, I'm Nick Perkap You are listening to Inside Supercars.
2: And welcome back to Inside Supercars. We're talking we're here with Todd Kelly, who's just announced today his retirement. Todd, you grew up in Mildura. What was it that got you started in motor racing?
6: Uh, motor racing is all I was ever good at. You know, I had a crack at most things that kids do, a bit of football and basketball. And uh, I could get by and, and uh, spend a little bit of time off the bench in, in football as a young kid. But I wasn't really passionate about it. Uh, I got on a motorbike when I was two and a half years old for the first time, and then I, I knew that anything with the motor was for me, and then it progressed through go karts and boats and eventually into um, into race cars and i 've just always felt natural and, and comfortable in the car. What was your childhood like? Uh, I was really, really lucky with my childhood, as, as was Rick. Um, we worked really hard as kids as you do in a in a small rural town you know we were uh, out in the vineyard or picking oranges after school and we'd work most of the holidays uh, on the farm with mum and dad from picking lettuces to avocados and things like that. It's just what you did. And um, we're really lucky to be able to uh, have motorbikes and go-karts and and be able to go and race uh, different things on the weekends as part of that. And that's what really built uh, us up to where we are now, to have a really good grounding, uh, one that we've worked really hard for and, and still do uh, and get to enjoy machinery at the same time.
2: How did you go moving into the big smoke of Melbourne?
6: Yeah, it was a, it was a tough time for me uh, when I left Mildura to move to Melbourne. I was only 17 years old and I was a really kind of sheltered, homely kid. You know, I didn't really uh, go to friends' places and, and stay over in bits and pieces at that point. So to move 600 k's away from mum and dad and uh, bored with people I didn't know was a, a pretty big step for me and I found it quite hard but I really kept myself focused and occupied on the uh, opportunity that I had so I was with the Young Lions program at that point and I just basically lived at the workshop and if I wasn't at the workshop I was at the gym training to be a professional race car driver so I swept floors and, and did everything in uh, in that place and it and it kind of got a bit of respect from the guys at the time and I moved off the broom onto uh, a few spanners, and I was allowed to work on the cars. And uh, without uh, much longer, I was actually on rattle guns and involved in, in pit stops at Bathurst. And then got to the point where I was in the car a lot more in testing, and um, and then I got my chance at racing, and uh, and I've been in them ever since.
2: One of my uh, early memories of you was when you were at your first Bathurst with John Faulkner. I remember you working very hard and you appeared to be working very diligently, learning everything you could. What was that first Bathurst like?
6: I remember my first Bathurst, I was 18 years old. It was with um, the better electrical car with John Faulkner, which was kind of a customer of the Holden Racing team. Then that was my first gig. I'd just done sand down in that car. That was my first real race and and I did pretty well there. And uh, Bathurst, I was completely beside myself with nerves, like being an 18 year old about to jump in a 600 horsepower car to do the 1000 was that was a serious gig and um unfortunately the car had a mechanical issue off the line and and we got it back into the garage i think we had to put a new tail shaft in it um so we entered the race uh, with me and the car lapsed down from that point so i uh, i got to spend most of the race in the car because um you know we, we were not in with a chance and um and it was you know it was an amazing experience even though We went um, a few laps down at the start, getting the car fixed, I still jumped in and was as nervous as uh, what I would have been if we were leading the thing at that point.
2: Todd, it was an interesting time when uh, you went into the Young Lions because the other Young Lions with you were Jason Barguana, Mark Noski, Stephen White. Clearly, you're the most enduring of the four of them. It was a very uh, troubling time for you, uh, fighting way through that uh,
6: young pack. Yeah, there are a lot of drivers in the mix for, for those positions. Um, the Holden Racing team was really the pioneer of bringing young drivers through. So uh, I was very fortunate to be one of the four that, that went through that program in the first year. And I was a lot younger than all of the other drivers that, uh, that were chosen. So I expected not to probably get in um, in the early stages, but I made sure I worked harder than anyone else to, to give myself the best chance, and as that progressed and, and I got to spend more time in the car, um, it got a little bit easier to be able to show my ability to to the people that mattered, um, but there was never any certainty in, in my career, um, probably for the first three or four years of living in Melbourne, it wasn't until I really got into uh, the Kmart race team alongside Murph that... Um, that my whole career as a driver started to really get a little bit more cemented you know i was more experienced and less of a risk uh i guess to um to the team and uh, and the sponsors started to see what i could do and it just built from there but there was always i remember standing um out the back on the phone to mum and dad probably hundreds of times saying uh you know i think i'm coming home there's another driver he's doing this or he's doing that and they've given him um the chance at a test day and i didn't get a go and it was tough it was uh it was a tough introduction, but it's no different to any sports person trying to crack into professional sport and um, you know I, I look back and it still gives me a buzz uh, what opportunity I was given back then and, and what I've done with it.
2: What have been some of your highlights
6: yeah i'm a little bit funny with with the success I had in the first part of my career. you know I had a really good team and a, and a fantastic car, and like you know, any, any good driver, you go there wanting to win the race and that's what you work hard to do and that's what you aim to do and uh, all the races that I were fortunate enough to win through that period, even the, you know, 24 hour races and, and, and different things, I, that never really hit me and I never really probably celebrated them the way I should have. It was more of a case of me ticking the box and going, right, I, I did what I came here to do um, and I was content with that and, you know, I rarely Sit back and actually think about, you know, race wins and stuff. It's more of a a tick the box and move on. And I I probably regret um, not putting more emphasis on those at the time. And and you always look back at things like that, uh, you know, at the end of your career. But um, yeah, there are a lot of really cool experiences, you know, China and the Bathurst uh, win and, uh, you know, a lot of success up at Darwin and and different rounds. So it was, it's been a pretty good ride.
2: You cemented yourself in at Kmart.
6: How did you make the most of the move to ownership? um yeah it's it's an interesting situation that evolved to go from being a successful professional driver to to owning you know what is kind of the biggest team in the category now with four cars Um, i always had a hunger to do more with my brain than just drive the car Uh, we had a lot of good years where we didn't have a lot of responsibility uh, outside the car. So we'd have plenty of hobbies and do the things that race car drivers did. But I always wanted to do more uh, in a business sense. So I started to try and pick up a little bit of work through um, Holden Special Vehicles and the Holden Racing Team with their passenger ride obligations to the sponsors. So we ended up setting up basically a race team, but just for the passenger ride. So we did all of the, the rides for the, the sponsors for a few years. So we had a workshop and a transporter and basically made a little business of it and uh, that eventually flowed into, um, into uh, taking over uh, Larry Perkins' team and, and starting this place. And it was just something that I'd always had a passion to do and I wanted to be more than a driver. And um, it's turned out to be that scenario for about half of my career.
2: What was it like starting
6: your own team? Yeah, it was tough uh, at the start of our own team. There was a crazy amount of hours, um, a lot of passion uh, and enthusiasm got us through and it dragged, you know, a lot of people in into what we were doing, uh, you know, sitting here in this workshop, painting the floor at, you know, 11, 12 o'clock at night through to building cars and, and um, just everything that we had to do was a, a really big task. You know, I don't know that many teams have had to do so much in such a short time just to, to establish themselves, but it's through working that hard um, that you actually sit back and, and really appreciate the result of it, you know, you look around here and and uh, I still love this place, um, you know, nine nine years on, like all of the, the facility, the walling, you know, we put all this stuff up ourselves um, and it actually means something and, uh, you know, it's pretty cool to have built something um, on this scale, uh, you know, myself and my brother from a little town in Mildura.
2: How did the Nissen deal come about?
6: When the rules changed in the category to allow new manufacturers to come in, we were really keen to bring somebody else in you know it'd been a really good battle for many years and the whole time I raced it was only the two brands so uh I remember going to Bathurst as just a little tacker in uh, in my Formula Ford and um, you know meeting guys like Jim Richards and growing up watching Bathurst with the Nissans in it uh, you know we were big fans of, of that era and you know we thought well the first port of call would be Nissan they're just a couple of k's up the road from our factory, and they've got a massive racing heritage, not only uh, in Australia but globally. So, we had a really good crack at, at getting them on board, and we had to have a few goes at that. And as management changed at head office here, we um, we got a little bit of interest and got to the point where it progressed. And um, they luckily had the right vehicle and, and an engine to to fit within the rules, and then. Uh, we actually had to fulfil what we told them we were going to do and, and turn all of that stuff into a race car and that turned out to be probably the biggest challenge that we've ever attempted. Like Setting up a race team was, was huge from scratch but converting and bringing a new manufacturer in took that to a whole new level. The hours and the, uh, the design work and the R&D that was involved in the initial program was, um, was just massive and we're trying to race... Holdens at the same time and, and run a race team. So, uh, that's still in my whole career. Probably one of the proudest moments is unveiling the, the Nissan Altima for the first time and, uh, jumping behind the wheel and driving it an out of pit lane onto the track, feeling everything that we'd spent 12 months creating from, uh, CAD screen images to parts to an actual race car.
2: Why finish up now?
6: It's, uh, a really hard decision for me to take the helmet off for for good um, I really love racing the car I mean that car behind me I, I could sit in it all day just in the garage it just it's part of me you know everything about it uh, I love and I love driving out of pit lane and and trying to get the absolute most out of it and I'm still extremely passionate about doing that well um, but this year ha- has been probably one of my hardest you know I had a lot of um shoulder surgeries and things over the years but um this year actually had knee surgery twice and we we managed to keep that quiet from from most people but i was in a little bit of trouble there for a lot of the year you know having to actually left foot brake in the car for the first time at at race meetings what you know through i remember eastern creek was one weekend where i spent the whole weekend actually left foot braking in the car and i've never been able to do that um before, so that was far from ideal. And, uh, the enduros were hard and it just got to the point where, even though I'm so passionate about driving still, you know, I knew it was probably time for the, for the old body to, to pull the pin on it. And, um, you know, it's a right time now. I think for the business and, and everything's kind of lined up to make me realise, you know, it's, um, it's been good, but I can't do it forever, even though I'd love to. Um, but everything's lined up to, to be the time to um, hang the helmet up. So what will your role be in the future with the team? Uh, I don't really know what I'm gonna do. I'm, I'm a driver and it's gonna take a little bit for me to get my head around watching the car go out with somebody else in it. Um, hopefully I can get over that pretty quick and, and get on with my responsibilities in the team. But there's a lot of stuff that I'm I'm looking forward to doing at the track to just be outside of the car in the garage for a whole weekend will be a pretty good experience because I've only ever seen a race weekend from a driver's point of view and when all the action is happening, um, you know, I've always been in the car so I don't really know what goes on in the garage during the most important time of uh, of what we do and it will be good to, to be a little bit more involved in that. We've got extremely good people in, in all of the roles that that uh, you have in a race team so there's there's no position that I'm going to roll in and take over but just be um, somebody to oversee the whole thing throughout the whole weekend, uh, and and add support to wherever it's needed over a race weekend.
3: What are some
6: of your lasting memories, Todd? Um, I don't know that I've got any specific lasting memories. You know, the Bathurst wins and and race wins are are fantastic. Um, I, I just look back at the whole thing. Um. And feel extremely privileged and lucky to have done what I've done for so many years. You know, I've, I've not had any major accidents and had any physical injuries from, from accidents in the car, which is pretty, a pretty decent run over, you know, basically 20 years of racing. Um, you know, I've had a, a good relationship with all of the sponsors we've had through that time and, and all the drivers. I've never really had any, Big problems with anybody um, in my whole career. I've never done uh, anything wrong, and I'm I'm pretty proud of the fact that I've got through such a long career of of maintaining, um, you know, a high level of professionalism and and doing the right thing by my competitors and sponsors through that period. So, yeah, I think the whole the whole block of that. You know, 20 or so years is the highlight, n- nothing specific. But it's funny when you get to this point, you think of little things. And one of the things that I've thought a lot about is just simply being able to take the kids for a passenger ride um, when they're old enough to jump in so they can experience what their dad's done uh, their whole life. am about to get a little bit emotional now. <laughs> um, maybe I'll jump back in the car one day and, and take him for a burn. And, what... and after the break, we'll be back with
2: Scott sinclair of nissan motorsport continuing on the nissan story this week on inside supercars
0: the views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. And,
1: you know, every, every year I see Jackie Stewart the Grand Prix and I just remind myself
0: of his part in in starting the the path to safer cars. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion.
1: Jack Brabham certainly left his mark not only on Australian motorsport but motorsport all around the world.
0: Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm
6: Todd Kelly. Hi, I'm Fabian Colthard and you're listening to Inside Supercars.
3: Scott Sinclair is with us, the General Manager of Motorsport at Nissan Motorsport and... You talk about how hard it is to be in the cut and thrust for a long period of time. How do you manage that with your guys? Because the burnout rate is huge. The The engineers that I used to see uh, 10, 10 years ago, engineers mechanics I used to see 10 years ago in the pits, only a handful, only the ones that have been able to progress up through the ladder are really still there now. The rest have gone. I've got family I'm sick of travelling and that sort of thing. So, how do you make it sustainable when you have, particularly when you have good people at those lower levels?
1: Yeah, it's, that's really difficult. And you know, we have got more races next year, and uh, there's more on the line. Every year, it gets harder, and the competition gets harder. So, you know, that, that's that's um, that's one of the great questions. I mean, for me, I, I'm sort of we sort of have a you know open conversations with guys and say, you know, what if, you, if your times if your times out if you've had enough then probably best for both of us that we, that we move on. But to answer the question how do we keep the people? Well, I'm not really sure to be honest. But, you know, we've got to provide a, an environment that, that um, challenges people but at the same time um, you know, get they get the job satisfaction to want to continue. But, you know, at the moment it's, that's extremely difficult because we've got two teams, you know, in, in AAA and Penske and probably to a lesser extent ProDrive, although they're having a really good, good few months at the moment. But, they're, they're ultra um, competitive, and, and for the rest of us, it's extremely difficult. So maintaining that motivation is difficult. But the reality is, you know, it's, it's they're no different to us. They, they may have, may or may not have uh, more or less resources, but um, you know, it's still made up of a team of what 30 40 people. So there's no reason we can't have that success. But we've all got to, you know, work together and, and um, you know, and, and not. Uh, lose focus, I suppose, but that's the great challenge. And I, and I spend a lot of time um, thinking and um, trying to, you know, come up with ways to to, to invigorate the um, the program and the staff and, and mix things up to try and keep them interested. So, you know, look, I don't have I don't I don't have an answer for that question, but it's certainly a big issue. Uh,
3: Scott Nissen this year and Nissen over the journey. How do you see the progress tracking?
1: Oh look, you know we're disappointed. There's no doubt about that. We're, um, you know, we, we, we um, you know, this is our fifth year, I think, in the program, and we just haven't seen the progression. We're really firmly in that mid pack, and we've, you know, we've done a we've done a reasonable job to work from the, where we debuted which was um, you was know, a real challenge to to being consistently in that mid pack, but it's getting that next step up, and you know, on a good day. Uh, we're, we're, the first team behind the, um, you know, behind the, the triple eight Penske and pro drives, but on a bad day, we're, we're then behind the, you know, the next tier, which is the B J R the GRM and, um, a couple of others. So, HRT. so um, you know, it's, it's, that's where we're, we're firmly at the moment, but, um, and we need to get out of that because everyone's tiring of being in that mid pack and, um, You know, that's really got to be our focus for the summer, as as it was, you know, as it has been. But we've really got to ramp it up to another level and throw everything at it and um, see where that takes us.
3: Is the Gen 2 and then the normal question that people like me ask you, what's Nissan going to do? What are you going to do? Is that distracting to the team or are you playing Adrian's role where you're just sheltering everyone from it when it gets thrown your way?
1: Yeah, well, certainly. I mean, we we, we have to. We, we you can only do it with the cards you, you dealt, I suppose. So we know what we've got for this year, and and we're pretty sure what we've got for next year. So, um, yeah, that's that's what we've got, and we've got to get try and get the most out of it. So um, you know, those discussions are certainly ongoing, and 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 a vital part of our of our progress, and and um, what what's to come in the future. But, but yeah, like you say, it's it's about for the. For the guys doing, you know, swinging the spanners or, or punching the, um, punching punching through the data, it's, you know, the moment they start worrying about that, we're we're taking our eye off the ball of, of what we can control. So, uh, we've just got to focus on that.
3: Now, you, you've been through Johnson's and we talked about uh, what that team was like and when it became a customer team. But then you went to HRT, which was a full service team, and now definitely at Nissan, you consider that a full service team. What Yep. What do you see, like, how far does your reach and your control go across all the divisions, engine, bodies, and, of course, race assembly and then engineering?
1: Yeah, well, I'm sort of looking over over the whole program. So, uh, yeah, it, it includes all those things. And, um, you know, I've delved a little bit more into the engineering this year because we felt like there was a few things we could, we could um, you know, improve there. So... Um, yeah, but but fundamentally, looking across the whole whole um, racing program, I don't I don't deal with any of the commercial side or or any of that. Nick Nick obviously leaves that up, but um, and and you uh, know yeah, yeah I, I'm looking at the, anything performance related. So um, in terms of our on track stuff,
3: what is it like for a person like yourself who uh, so much enjoys the engineering of motorsport? To go to a race, a new racetrack like we're going to see at Newcastle, what does that mean as a challenge, and what excites you about it?
1: Yeah, well, it's, it's um, you know, it's, it's all best off. It's um, everyone's on the same page. The quick guys will still come to the front. There's no doubt about that. But um, you know, it's a good opportunity. I heard James um, Courtney quoted or talked the other day that um, you know he loves the new tracks because he's won at Townsville. he won at Homebush when, in the first years they had him. Well. You know, I, we, I was with him those years as well. So hopefully, I can uh, I can steal a bit of that off him. But um, you know, we uh, yeah, the, the track looks to be honest. The, the undulation, I think, I'm really looking forward to seeing. There's some um, you know really awkward looking corners, I think. And I saw Jamie quoted um, saying that the braking is going to be a bit awkward when you're trying to turn and brake in these cars. It's not something they particularly enjoy. So um, especially to the concrete wall. Uh, right, you know, in front of you, and you when you lock your brakes, heading towards the outside of, of the track. So that's going to be really interesting. We probably don't see that uh, at many tracks that we go to. So, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see that. Obviously, the town and and, and, the, and the the um, you know, the chopper shots is going to be fantastic as well. Fantastic advertisement for the sport, and um, you know it's it's. It's a great way to end the year. You know, I, I, I always loved Homebush. I thought the challenge of Homebush was fantastic. I know the event itself had some challenges, but um, you know the, the the nature of the track. It was one of those tracks where you said to the you'd, you'd be able to say to the driver, "Look, we're not going to be able to fix the whole car here. You're going to have to deal with it. So you, we either fix you know turn eight or we fix turn one or whatever it might be. But you know, just you just got to drive the thing. And I think Newcastle is going to be a bit like that.
3: Across four cars. Do you have the problem where a couple of drivers go well on the quick steer corners, I'm good, but on the long steer corners, I'm you know I'm out, and then the other ones are telling you exactly the opposite?
1: Yeah, we had we had, we had a lot of that in New, New, uh, where were we last? New Zealand. Um, actually, Simona was fantastic through the last sector in particular, through that high speed stuff, and between her and her car, they that, were that was, that was um, you know in the top three I think ranking. Across the weekend, so, and then we have Michael who was really good through the through two, three, and four onto the back straight, and we had Rick who was good at the hairpin. So, you know, trying to unlock all that and you know and and get um get your head around that is, is a challenge, and um you know it's not it's not as easy as just bolting the things a few things from Simona's car or whatever into into Michael's car or vice versa. It's there's a lot more compromise than that, so. It's about analysing the times and the second times and, you know, where are we going to be able to pass and where are we under threat and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, unfortunately, it's not as easy as, as uh, we would like. Mm.
3: What have you thought of Simona's first year?
1: Oh, look, she's... Um, uh, she, she's I, I obviously get asked this a lot. She's got the talent. There's no doubt about that. There's been a few challenges. One is the nature of these cars, and, and um, but she's starting to get her head around that. Her um, the challenge for her is to to not carry as much speed into the corner. She has a tendency to rush it, which is what you do in an open wheel wheel of car. So, but these cars hate um, rushing into the corner because it just sort of understeers a bit wide, and then your drive your exit is so heavily compromised. So, um, you know, when when the heat's on, and and, um, you know when when we come into qualifying, that's her her default. Um, So, but that being said, we've made a lot of progress in the last couple of months, and you know, we, we've um, you know tried some few different things to the car to help that, and you know we've probably been guilty of setting the car up to encourage that a little bit. So she'd be saying, "I need more turn, I need more turn," but uh, and we'd give her that more turn. But all that would do would encourage her to go into the corner faster. So you know, we we, we, we she's still probably making you know one little mistake in every qualifying session, which is enough to, to put you off the back of the the. the um, you know, that pack that I spoke about where we're, we're firmly, you know, entrenched. So that's why our qualifying results aren't as flash. And then, you know, from that, her, um, you know, the racing's difficult. There's no doubt about that because you, you, you know, there's always those, that, those cars from sort of, you know, 10 to 20 really are, are fairly evenly matched. And if you're starting 21st, for example, it's, it's very difficult to move forward. But she's raced really well. Um, you know, I think, um, I think she She's applied herself really well, but it's it's frustrating for her and frustrating for us that um, you know we haven't seen the improvement, but we certainly are, are understanding of the areas we need to work on
3: mm. and I imagine that uh, with the with the history of international drivers coming into the series, you see Alex Primer, you have Robert Dalgren with the uh, uh, Gary Rogers team. You already knew how tough that was going to be. And like Alex Premer now comes out as a, a co driver and because he's had those two years experience, looks like he, you know, everyone goes, Well, where was that? But it was purely time.
1: Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's time and we, we 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 knew that from the work go, but also we had it. Yeah, you know, we we said from the start. Let's not let's not make excuses here. We don't want to. We could use any excuse under the sun. We don't know the tracks. We haven't had enough seat time. But let's just actually knuckle down and and work on it. So, yeah, you know, I don't I don't want to make excuses, but at the same time, that's a that's a big factor for sure.
3: What about uh, if we look past Newcastle? Uh, yeah, Newcastle now, and talk about the off season have you already seen from what your staff's telling you that you're going to have a lot of churn are you are you going to be stable or you know is it is it 5% of your staff move on every year or 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 what sort of numbers and how stable can you be from year on year
1: yeah look, we we well, i think it was about 55 us 56 and usually we'll turn over about four or five um this year I've got two already um so, there'll probably be one or two more, I would suspect, but um so that's a that that would be a normal year, but you know that's healthy as well you don't um you know we don't want to we don't want the status quo every year, but we also don't want the turnover the high turnover where you lose all the experience so I think um you know around three or four I, I, doesn't worry me too much. But, um, excuse me, anything more than that uh, is, is starting to become a bit of an annoyance,
3: I suppose. Mm. Well, Scott, it's a pleasure to catch up with you. We wish you all the best for Newcastle and uh, hope you do get some sort of break over the Christmas New Year because the uh, the season has fortunately been shortened by about two weeks for you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Now, looking forward to a big uh, a big summer of, uh, of relaxing but uh, also a big January and February of um, preparation to... Um, Hopefully come out swinging in the new year with a bit better uh, a bit better on-track performance.
2: And that was wonderful insight into the world of Scottskin's Clare and Nissan Motorsport. And back after the break with our final thoughts, Craig.
0: Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world.
1: And, you know, every, every year I see
0: Jackie Stewart Grand Prix and I just remind myself... Of of his part in in starting the the path to safer cars. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion.
1: Jack Brabham certainly left his mark not only on Australian motorsport but motorsport all around the world.
0: Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au Hi I'm Rick Kelly. Hi I'm Lee Holdsworth and you're listening
3: to Inside Supercars. Inside
2: Supercars, Craig Ravel and Tony Whitlock. Final thoughts, pre-Newcastle. It seems very strange for me to say this, but I'm looking at NASCAR. I don't know if you watched the final race, but uh, I haven't. Uh, I do want to watch it. I know the result, and uh, I'm absolutely thrilled. I went to America, to Chicagoland in 15, and stood next to Peter Craik, who was an engineer on the Martin Truex car. They won the championship, on eight races this year, and I'm really so pleased both he and James Small have been regulars in the series over there for some years. Um, James, of course, had success in winning Bathurst with uh, Steve Richards, Mark Winterbottom, um, and uh, Peter Craig was ex-Brightech, uh, ex-Kelly's, ex and has been uh, in America first with Andretti's in, NASC- in uh, IndyCar, and now uh, won the championship in NASCAR. So it's
3: fantastic for for a young Australian to have done that, it's just great news. And your thought, Greg? My final thought is this weekend what's better for the championship? A new champion in Scott McLaughlin or a seven time, an all time greatest that's resetting the rule book and record book, I should say, every time he goes out there? I mention the rule book though, Tony, because it's interesting. If we go back a generation to when Mark Scaife was winning all those championships. Every year he won it. There'd be a different point system come up the next year to try and stop the domination. It would be interesting to know, and I'm sure someone's done it, if the championship point system was continuous and and consistent throughout the entire Scaife era, would he have won more championships? Certainly, Wing Cup hasn't had... And I'm not taking anything away from Jamie Winkup. I think he is the best driver, uh, certainly in my lifetime, in, in touring cars, racing in Australia. But it would be interesting to see how, uh, if the rule book could have been changed as easily as it was back in those days, to try and set up gerrymanders that uh, stop the same person winning all the time, where would, where would Jamie be? My bet would be he'd still be winning, but would escape one more if he didn't have all those uh, hurdles put in front of him? That's something to think about. Who's going to win, Tony? Gosh. Um, Well,
2: history would say that Jamie um, is. Um, I think uh, Scotty and Fabian have got uh, uh, one thing in their corner that no one else has, and that's someone who, with the skill of Roger Penske, is able to uh, put himself in a position of winning an awful lot of races. I mean, I don't know if people in Australia have ever thought about it, but enough people have, really, because... Every third time that Roger Penske takes his cars to uh, Indianapolis, they win it every third time. That's 15 times or 16 times in 45 years. It's an extraordinary thing. And, of course, that's, you know, the largest single race every year. But um, DJR Team Penske has certainly got all the things in place. Scotty had, had won with probably 10 races or 10 qualifying uh, rounds ago, already won the, uh, the uh, qualifying armour award this year. And that's going to be a very important thing, qualifying, at such a tight track. In the same way that Monaco is, in the same way Adelaide is, where you start a race is going to play a large part on where you finish it. So, you know, if, if Scotty can uh, bring that qualifying form, then it's certainly going to make it far tougher for uh, Jamie. But, you know, we all know that he has... Uh, I mean, if things had gone the right way, he already would, could have 10 championships. You know, certain things in certain years meant that he didn't get it. But... He certainly will set the bar at seven if he wins it this year. Both of them would be very deserving winners. And my question at the beginning, Tony,
3: my question at the beginning, which one's better for the series? I think most people would say it's better for the series to have McLaughlin win, whereas I I personally think uh, Wing Cup winning is actually better for, uh, I think it's better for the long-term health of the sport because you get to see the greatest driver ever do His best work.
2: Yeah, look, Jamie has already uh, got the assurance in his head that uh, Shane Van Gisbergen is already his wingman. He's 276 points off in fifth place. Fabian is 176. Now, there's 300 up for grabs, 150 in each race. So, you know, someone's going to have to get themselves in real trouble on Saturday in order for either Fabian or Chaz Mostort, who's 264 behind. So I think it's highly likely it's going to be one of those two, Jamie or, Sh- or Scott, and I think you're very right. Uh, it would be very good for the series if Scotty won, just, uh, you know, for New Zealand to win another series with another driver, it would be fantastic. So we can all look forward to uh, enjoying some really tight racing, and of course it's free to air this weekend, and it should be some really interesting viewing, and I'm looking forward to being there to see it firsthand. Craig? Another episode of Inside Supercars, and we look forward to next week's.
3: Yes, the wrap up. Good of night the from you. Good night from him. Good night.
0: Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.